A friend of mine, Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. The great American patriot, Mike Lindell. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lindell Report. Um, I'm out the door from a car. I'm in a lot of meetings. I'm in a, um, I said, I told everyone before I have uh, events over the next seven days. I'm heading to another meeting shortly, but I wanted to get on here and tell you uh, what we have tonight. Um, we're going to have Doug Wardlow coming on here with Brandon. Uh, Brandon, are you there? Yep. Okay. Well, we're going to have Doug Wardlow, as you know, uh, coming on and, uh, Everybody, let me give you a background. Doug Warlow ran for attorney general in Minnesota in the 2018 election. Now, this is where I, you know, I got behind Candace. I thought, you know, this is where I first met Doug. And he was amazing. And he was the closest, he was the closest um, um, candidate that almost won. Okay, they remember they, they stole all this in Minnesota, too, in, in 2018. Um, and But Doug was the closest. And remember, he ran against Keith Ellison. The only way in Minnesota that Keith Ellison won it was because of, it was stole from uh, Doug. And uh, anyway, so I hired Doug right after the uh, right after that uh, election in 2018. He's got quite a background, Brandon. When you interview him, I'm going to have to get off in a little bit here, but um, he's got quite an amazing background as an attorney, and he was involved in some big national cases too. Um, he's been I've hired him. He's been an in-house lawyer for me. For um, since 2018, and he um, he is the one that's going to be leading the charge through these uh, preliminary injunctions that we're doing. And I'll have Doug tell you all about it, Brandon. You can ask him all about what that entails and all the uh, and all the um, um, the details of going getting these preliminary injunctions to get rid of the machines. And in in every state, we got they got to be gone. Remember, we everybody we have the evidence now. Um, we have the evidence that. Um, um, we have the evidence that uh, uh, that we got out of Mesa County inside the Dominion machine. It's right here on Frank's Beach. We have the evidence that the cyber guys can go to, check it all out, and um, and it's over. It's over. We have we know what they were hiding now, and uh, and it's not just Dominion machines, but all the machines, and uh, we got to get rid of them. Um, so Brandon. I went- Okay, hold on. This is the bad thing about being on the road. I dropped the phone. Yeah, I have it happen sometime too. Okay, um, let's get back here. <laughs> okay, everybody, sorry about that. <laughs> um, all right, so we. Um, I want to tell everybody. Let's go through quick where you can find that evidence. We can't, uh, and I'll tell you what we got. We have going on on April fourth and fifth. But April fifth, all the media has been calling me. We're having a um, a um, a rally at the Capitol in Colorado, and uh, I'll be speaking there. And it's I believe it's from 12 to 3 on April 5th, from noon to 3. And we're uh, gonna Brandon have a, and we're gonna be streaming it. Yeah, we're right here on Lindell TV, everybody. Uh, by the way, everybody, I want you to get that app. I'm gonna send out when I get off the phone here. I'll send out a a um. um I'm going to send out uh, one of those uh, push notifications. I didn't get it sent out in time for tonight, but I want you all to get it and tell everyone about Frank's speech about the app. 
Uh, after after uh, um, Doug Wardlow comes on, everybody, I have a, a really special guest. It's Melissa Hurrah. She she um, works for me with the Lindell Recovery Network dot org. The Lindell Recovery Network dot org. She also does the Hope Report every. Uh, I believe it's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at right. noon to one Central Time, and uh, she's going to come on and talk to you about addiction and everyone. You don't want to miss this tonight. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk. She's going to, um, or with the election, with all the crimes, we're going to give you some hope, everybody. If you have anybody in addiction, you need to reach out to them right now. They need to they need to know about this. Watch this tonight and uh, and hear from Melissa um, all the great things we have going. And, I, Brandon, we're going to add her to our lineup on Lindell TV, too. Is that correct? That's right. That's absolutely right. Right. We'll have it be streamed every day at noon. Central Time on Lindell TV too, uh, so but she's uh, but she'll tell you all about that, and she can tell you her story of, of uh, how she um, how she came to uh, my pillow and uh, and then to the Lindell Recovery Network. Um, so uh, why don't we bring in Doug? I've got a little time. I don't know if we can get Doug in. Um, uh, Brand, we got Doug. Way, Doug is standing by. Welcome aboard, by Doug. By the way, everybody, remember to help support everything we're doing. Go to. Go to MyPillow.com, use that promo code L77. You can also go right here to Frank's Beach to our store here, and we have all the Frank's Beach stuff on sale, that uh, poppy cups, everything there now that we got. But we've also got uh, the Giza sheets, the towels. We've got over well, this hundreds and hundreds of products. So, And you can help out entrepreneurs at MyStore.com. Use that same promo code L77. But thanks, everybody, for all your support. And uh, we have great things coming. Doug's going to tell you all about the preliminary injunctions that we're going to be doing now in uh, starting out with so many states. So why don't we bring Doug on, and I've got a few minutes, and then I can let it, let you uh, you and Doug take over, Brandon. All right. Hey, Doug. Hi there, Brandon. Hey, Mike. Hey, Doug. Uh, I'm going to be with you for a little bit here, but I kind of teed you up uh, when we met um, um the, um, I told, well, I'm going to tell everybody before I get off here, um, I'll tell you, there's going to be no better attorney general. Doug is running for attorney general. Remember, he ran it. I told you all at the beginning of the show, he ran in 2018. Uh, Doug has worked for me since then. I knew a great guy and a great attorney when I seen one. And uh, Doug has not let me down. He's been absolutely amazing. Uh, you all know what my pillow's been going through. And uh, Doug's been right there. Uh, he comes down from his office about every, at least once a day when I'm there at home. And he says, hey, Mike, we got something going on here. What do you think? <laughs> and yeah. he's very proactive. And what I like about Doug is problem solution. He's so proactive. So I'm giving him my 100% endorsement. He'll be the best attorney general Minnesota's ever seen. And uh, Doug's been working hard going all through the state, different groups. If you're watching from Minnesota, he has done, he's like a, He's like that little Evergenny bunny that just won't stop. He just keeps going out there and get the word out. But one of the things I told Doug, everybody, I said, Doug, I said, you know, I've been so hyper-focused with, uh, with all my national lawyers and stuff on this, uh, on this uh, getting rid of the machines and uh, addressing the 2020 election. Well, in our home state of Minnesota, everybody, Donald Trump won Minnesota uh, by 65,000 votes minimum. That's, that's minimum. So we had it happen just like it did in every state. Well, now Doug is going to spearhead. He's right, right at the, um, he's going to help um, um, get rid of these machines. And Doug's going to tell you all, um, I'm teeing it up for you, Doug, with the, 
with these preliminary injunctions, which you can tell everybody about when I get off. But, uh, um, Doug, I'll ask you one. Uh, the um, when uh, when you ran in eighteen, or tell us a little bit before eighteen, before I met you. Uh, I mean, when, when you were you were attorney and other some other big cases too, and then uh, and then what drove you to want to be attorney general of Minnesota of all places? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Mike, thanks so much for the endorsement, and, and it's just it's really an honor to, to to fight alongside you and work with you, and, and it's an honor of my lifetime. Um, really appreciate that. You're a great patriot and uh, doing great things for the country. So, um, yeah, so before I came to my pillow and then 2018 run, run for attorney general and all of that, I was a constitutional lawyer and uh, I worked for a number of years with Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a Christian nonprofit law firm that fights for free speech and religious liberty in cases all across the country. Uh, so that's my background. Standing wow, up I'm impressed. I had no idea. I'm impressed. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a great group and it was an yeah. honor. I know we're there and, you know, and we need to stand up for our constitutional rights. We need to do that uh, in the office of the attorney general here in Minnesota. And we need attorneys general around the, the country to, to do that as well. And, and that's why I'm running to restore our constitutional rights, uh, to stand up for our constitutional rights and also to restore law and order. Alex uh, Sears started that group, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah, funny Sears. story. Show how old I am. I sat in his office, a little bitty teeny office in, in Arizona, 25 plus years ago when he was just launching that organization. I mean, just a teeny little office. Look what it's become. I, and you're with them. That's pretty impressive. Yep, I was with them for a number of years. And, and uh, yeah, it's a great group. And there's actually, they even do international work, standing up for, you know, standing up for the family and for marriage and, and for conservative principles and for uh, free speech and religious freedom. Uh, it's a fantastic group. So that's kind of my background. I worked on a number of cases uh, there and then felt the call to, to uh, come back to my home state and run for attorney general and focusing on, yeah, fo standing up for our constitutional rights and, and restoring law and order. And we came within three and a half points of victory in 2018 in a year when we lost the governor's race in Minnesota by about 11 points. And we set a record, got more votes than any Republican candidate has ever received in a midterm election in the history of our state here in Minnesota for any office. So we got built a strong base and, and uh, you know, my parents taught me to never give up, never give up. And and so we're, we're, we're giving another go and, and building on the base that we built before and on the path to victory. And we've got to retire Keith Ellison. That's what we're going to do, because Keith Ellison is the most radical attorney general in the country, the furthest left, uh, the most political. And he's really allowed a pervasive climate of lawlessness to take hold across uh, across Minnesota. He was literally tweeting out a picture of him holding a book promoting Antifa. That's no, right. No. That's right. Uh, that's yeah. He. There was that picture, and he's just he's using the office of the attorney general to push a, a radical political agenda. And, you know, right. enforcing the law should never be political, but he has made it very political, and that's it's really a shame. It's horrific, you guys. When I when I learned uh, in 18, when I really got involved in Doug's race, too, I you know, this is two races I got behind in Minnesota where I, you know, Donald Trump put me in charge of, uh, you know, I was the co-chairman of the Minnesota campaign for the presidential election in 2020. And um, and then I, I, I helped Doug. I, I mean, I wasn't part. I went to a few of your events, Doug. I got behind Doug. And and um, the only way you lost was because of the cheating. And I and uh, so I'm going to end up getting off this call here. But um, I, I believe what how what an amazing divine appointment, everybody here that, we you know, I hired Doug. And now here we are, and he's going to lead the charge to get rid of these machines with preliminary injunctions. Uh, and uh, one of the states, Doug will tell you all the states, but one of the first ones is Minnesota. And uh, before you tell that, Doug, I just want to say one more time, I give you my 100% endorsement. You're going to be the Thank best you. 
Attorney General this Minnesota's ever seen. And uh, we're going to bring Minnesota back and our country back. Um, Minnesota's got a lot of problems, as we know. And you've got to, you know, you can't change laws. You need an attorney general. I've gotten to know a lot of attorney generals, everybody, in this country. Uh, now, by the way, the Supreme Court complaint is still coming. There's a lot of reasons for um, um, that we have to have that get down and that end up getting voted 9-0. I believe it will be a change. And you can maybe talk about that, Doug, all these states when I get up that have broke the Constitution during the presidential election of 2020. And, um, you know, or like, you know, th different things attorney generals are facing that guy down, like all this crime that came out in Arizona, I, you know, um, attorney generals, um, you know, they coupled with the secretary of states and the governors, there's your three most powerful people in a state. And boy, if you get all three of them, or any one of them that is uh, bad, or I'll say corrupt. I mean, it really becomes a. It's pretty bad when those those kind of three those three people can can have that kind of power, and what that kind of power can manifest to if you get horrible horrible politicians in place, which we have in Minnesota. But anyway, right. Doug, we're going to show that. I 100% give you my endorsement. Um, don't let Brandon ask you too many hard questions. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. I got to go. Thank you for taking the show tonight. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Mike. Be careful. Thanks, Mike. All right. So, hey, so tell me, um, did you grow up in Minnesota? I did. Yep. Grew up in Minnesota. What and, suburb? Uh, yeah, you In the Twin Cities or somewhere else in the state? Uh, in the Twin Cities in Egan, suburb in, here in uh, just southeast of St. Paul. I'm living in Prior Lake now with my wife, Jenny. We've got three kids and, you know, they're the real reason I'm running. I want my kids to have a Minnesota they can be proud of. Yeah. And the path we're on right now, it, it does look like that. And, you know, if we keep going down this path, you know, lawlessness and riots and, and, and terrible violence in our cities spilling out into the greater Minnesota as well, you know, the, it, it's going to be difficult to build productive lives here in our state. And so we've got to save Minnesota and save the country. I'm from the Mid-South, born in Jackson, Mississippi, lived in Washington, D.C., but then I lived in Woodbury for 20-some-odd oh, years. Can you believe what they have done to the state of Minnesota? They've really – they, the, the, the Marxists have really – and the red-green axis, the red-green axis has really transformed Minnesota in a, in, a, in a negative manner, and it needs to be restored. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and, you know, Keith Ellison, he's been, you know, as attorney general, he's just allowed a pervasive climate of lawlessness to take hold. And the Democrats have held that office, the attorney general's office, since 1970, right? So it's really the heart of the Democrat political machine in Minnesota. And they're definitely afraid that they're going to lose that office uh, and we'll get in there and we'll be able to use it for the good. And that is just restoring it to its original mission, which is just enforcing the law and standing up for constitutional rights. And none of that, that's not political, right? Enforcing the law should never be political. It's just let's enforce the law evenly across the board, including our laws uh, on elections. So we need to investigate and prosecute voter fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your preliminary injunction. What What is this all about? Th those are big, fancy words, preliminary injunction. What does that mean to us non-lawyers? What are you doing? Right. So, so what we're looking at is uh, bringing uh, a number of different lawsuits in various states, uh, looking to start with uh, Minnesota. Oh, I think he froze there. Let's see if we can make reconnection with Doug. He's running for attorney general in Minnesota. Mike tells me he actually won the last election, of course. I think a lot of people won, had it stolen from him. So he'll join us here in just a minute. And then uh, while we're waiting, I'll plug what's coming next hour. In the, in, uh, the 7.30 Central Time mark, I'm going to have with me tonight uh, Alex Newman. We're going to talk about many things with Alex Newman. 
and then we're going to have on with us Jason Pratt, an expert on satellites and satellite tracking and devices and cell phones and biochips. And then we'll have on also Judge Napolitano. So that's in the 7.30 Central Time Hour. I believe we have made connection back with Doug, who's running for Attorney General of Minnesota. Sorry about that, Doug. I guess a little communication issue there. Glad you're back. So let's, Good to be back. let's, let's uh, pick it back up. What is this preliminary injunction all about? Oh, what we're looking at is looking at bringing uh, lawsuits under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, which is a statute that allows uh, citizens to, and, and people to bring uh, lawsuits uh, for threatened violations of their constitutional rights or actual violations of their constitutional rights. And the right to vote is a fundamental constitutional right. Right? Uh, there's really no more important right than our right to vote. And we need to make sure that all the votes are uh, counted accurately. We need to make sure that only the legal votes are counted. And so. When you're looking at voting machines, you know, we, we, we had a, I mean, for decades and decades and decades, centuries, uh, we had secure elections without voting machines. And it's not clear to me why we ever introduced voting machines in the first instance, uh, but at least one expert in the field has said, you know, voting machines are uh, computers, and because they're computers, uh, they are inherently then hackable and hijackable given time and access, right? And so there are questions, serious questions about the reliability of voting machines. And so... Looking at that, that, that uh, unreliability places a burden on our fundamental right to vote, and that violates our constitutional rights. And then if you're using different machines in different counties, say, in a state, that could present a problem. Uh, if uh, if the voting machines have different error rates and different uh, rates of adjudication and, and are counting votes slightly differently in each county, then that raises an equal protection problem as well. You know, one voter in one county uh, has his vote diluted a little bit by the counting of you know, inaccurate votes more than another a county, and that creates an equal protection problem under the 14th Amendment. So we've got a substantive due process problem, a fundamental right to vote is being burdened, and then perhaps an equal protection problem as well. Uh, so we're marshalling the evidence with respect to these questions and then we go into court and uh, push put that evidence forward and ask for a preliminary injunction uh, to stop the use of machines and return to paper ballots or put other controls in place to make sure that all the votes are counted accurately and that the fundamental right to vote is not unduly burdened That's so basic. are you are you bringing this at the state level or the federal level well, we're looking at a bunch of different options, um, but you know, I, it could be federal court, it could be state court. It depends on the state, and um, we're we're going through those analyses now as we talk to uh, various plaintiffs and, and voters and concerned individuals in a number of states across the United States. And you're not the only ones doing this. You're not the only one doing this. This is going on in other states, correct? Mike is yes, overseeing but- this in several states. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a number of different states. That's correct. And, and uh, you know, I think the, the, the question is, should we be using voting machines uh, if these things are unreliable, uh, if, if voting machines are, are not accurately tabulating votes, if people, if people do not have confidence in voting machines, then uh, does that ultimately impact our fundamental rights, uh, the fundamental rights to vote, equal protection, and violate other you know, pro- things that our Constitution guarantees us? And uh, we believe the answer is yes. And in my opinion, the answer is yes. And we go forward in various states and seek relief from the courts. And just consider this, in Minnesota, our Secretary of State here, Steve Simon, you know, in the last election cycle, uh, a number of groups, uh, more left-leaning groups, sued the state of Minnesota, and they did this in a number of different states, but they sued the state of Minnesota and said that because of COVID, uh, the typical way that we handle elections wasn't adequate, and that requiring things like witnesses on absentee ballots and requiring a postmark deadline for absentee ballots uh, put an undue burden on the right to vote unconstitutionally uh, because of the COVID environment. 
And then Keith Ellison, representing our Secretary of State, uh, agreed with the plaintiffs that sued the state and said, yeah, that's that's right, and, and we'll just waive enforcement of those provisions. So we won't enforce the laws that require a witness for an absentee ballot. We won't enforce the law that requires a certain deadline for the receipt of uh, an absentee ballot, the postmark deadline, and, and, a, and a few other things as well. And then they settled the lawsuit, entered what's called a consent decree, and those... Um, those laws, the waiver, the, the, the enforcement of those laws was waived. Well, if you think about that, if COVID and made those particular laws an undue unconstitutional burden on the right to vote, well, certainly then uh, the questions that surround the reliability of voting machines are also uh, an unconstitutional burden on the right to vote, right? So you can kind of see how that's analogous. And so I think we need to explore these things and we're talking to experts and, and marshalling evidence. And uh, there is quite a bit of evidence out there that suggests that this is the case. And, uh, you know, and, and being computers, again, voting machines um, could be hacked because they are computers. And then the other question is, why are voting machines uh, a black box? Why is uh, you know, all of the source code and all of the ways that voting machines are set up and a lot of information about them is kept hidden from the public? And that's not the case with paper ballots. With paper ballots, you can see what's going on and it's easier to put controls in place to make sure that everything is counted accurately and that there are no, you know, if you will, shenanigans. Uh, but with respect to voting machines, nobody really knows how they work. We can't get into the source code. We can't see it. And it's just sort of a black box. And that presents another question. Uh, you know, we need to have a system where, people, where we're going to have accurate audits and we're going to have accurate controls in place uh, to prevent voter fraud. And it's much easier to do that with paper ballots than it is with this black box voting machine system. Do so you... those are just kind of some inherent traits of, of voting machines that, that make them uh, suspect uh, from a constitutional standpoint. Well, you have the Secretary of State in Minnesota and your attorney general in Minnesota making those deals and in, in those lawsuits, did any of that break the state law? In other words, it, do you have anything in your state and in your state constitution or state laws where the legislature is to make the decisions regarding voting? Because we know in Wisconsin there are decisions where, the, for instance, the voting boxes, that the state statutes make that illegal and yet government entities were just doing that, like the Wisconsin Election Commission. We're just doing these things. Were Keith Ellison and your Secretary of State just doing things of their own uh, free will that violated the, what is really the responsibility or, or duties of your state legislature? Well, yeah, certainly they were, they were bypassing the state legislature by having, when, when, when these left-wing groups sued, sued the state, right, and then used the, the lawsuit to sort of bypass the legislature. So they did it in a way that didn't technically violate any laws, but they were able to obtain a waiver of the enforcement of certain laws that they didn't like uh, for various reasons, right? And so they were able to bypass the legislature. And of course, the legislature is the one who is the body that makes the laws, the, the people's representatives make the laws, and it's up to the attorney general to enforce them. So I think it was completely improper uh, for Attorney General Ellison to enter into a consent decree and just waive enforcement of the law. And whether you like the law or don't like the law or favor it or don't favor it, it is the law. And it's passed by the representatives of the people. It should be enforced. And uh, to have folks sue the state and then enter into a consent decree and to, to basically refuse to uh, defend the laws in court. That is a, an abrogation of the duties of the inter attorney general, certainly. Sounds like it was a setup uh, to the left. You sue us, we'll do this and that. So it sounds, sure so. sounds like, I, I, and again, I don't know what, I'm not a lawyer, but I wonder if you could even in your lawsuit start putting some of these people under deposition and find out that the whole thing was rigged. And does that become conspiracy? Does that become an issue of, of illegality as well, where they, they, they orchestrated the whole thing? Well, if that's the case, that would be very improper and 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 violate a, a number of legal norms that that's 
that's certainly true and uh it's, it's quite a suspicious thing that happened uh don't know exactly all the motives that were behind it but we do know that they went into court and then you know Keith Ellison really refused to defend the laws, and he agreed with uh, the opposition, and it is his duty to defend the law. That's the duty of the attorney general, and as attorney general, that's what I will do, regardless of whether I like the law or not. I'm going to enforce it. I'm going to defend it if it gets challenged in court, and uh, you know, we have uh, a number of uh, restrictions on abortion, for example, in Minnesota, and there is currently a lawsuit going on where, where Keith Ellison then is charged, where those laws are being challenged. And Keith Ellison is in charge of defending those laws. And the question arises, well, is he really uh, doing his best to defend those laws? I don't think he is. And so it's important to have an attorney general that's going to stand up for the law. Uh, and, and again, the attorney general shouldn't be political. And we're going to take the politics out of the office and simply enforce the law and defend the law, regardless of, of my views of whether I favor a particular law or not. The job of the attorney general is to enforce the law. And if you don't enforce the law, it's not really worth having the law in the first place. Uh, if we continue down the path that we're on, you know, that just leads to utter lawlessness. You know, Keith Ellison has been waging a war on the police in Minnesota as well, you know, taking over cases for prosecution. And, and the only cases that he's taken over to prosecute in-house at the attorney general's office involve police defendants, right? No other kind of defendant. So he's selectively enforcing the law and pushing a political agenda using the law. He's even got two special assistant attorneys general uh, who is appointed, whose salaries are paid for not by the state of Minnesota, but rather by a special interest group that's based in New York. And the reason that these uh, lawyers are appointed and funded by this outside group is to push radical left environmental lawsuits. And there are lawyers like this that have been planted in Democrat attorney general offices around the country. And so they're, they're using and abusing the power of state offices of attorney general, including the office of the attorney general here in Minnesota, to push a private agenda and do the, do the bidding of a private outside group that funds the salaries of these attorneys and push a left-wing agenda. That's completely improper. Politicizing the office, that's banana republic stuff, st stuff, and that will stop when I'm attorney general. Tell me, Doug, in regards to the Second Amendment, wh what is your position when it comes to the Second Amendment and the Biden regime or... United Nations Small Arms Treaty, and all these other things that would seek to undermine the legitimate Second Amendment rights of the citizens of Minnesota. How will you as Attorney General handle that? I know Missouri you know, has, I think, passed some legislation basically saying to the federal government, don't you come in here trying to enforce illegal, unconstitutional um, infringements upon the Second Amendment, or those federal agents could actually, I think, be arrested and imprisoned. So um, I, I guess at the crux of my question is not only the Second Amendment, but the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that recognizes the powers that the federal government has are limited and expressed and the unlisted powers belonging to states and respective people thereof. As you know, as a constitutional attorney, those were those 10 Bill of Rights, which they couldn't even get the Constitution passed until they got these 10 handcuffs onto the central government. Then could they finally get the Constitution ratified. Uh, those 10 handcuffs through legal gymnastics have been taken off the central government and put onto the states, and now the federal government decides when we have freedom of speech, when we have freedom of religion, when we can exercise the right of public assembly and Second Amendment, etc. How can you as Attorney General defend not only the Second Amendment, but also in that process defend other liberties by re reasserting the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution for your state? 
Well, so the attorney general's office in every state, including here in Minnesota, it, it, the one vital role that it plays is to stand up for the constitutional rights of the people of the state and for the sovereignty of the state as well. And in Minnesota, the attorney general has the inherent authority, according to, to precedent and case law, uh, to bring any civil lawsuit that the attorney general thinks is in the best interest of the state. And so it would be my duty, and this is what I would do, I would, would stand up for all of our, our fundamental rights and constitutional rights and the entire Bill of Rights, whether you're talking about the Second Amendment or the First Amendment, or you're talking about free speech or, or religious freedom, uh, the right to bear arms, uh, due process, all of those rights, uh, as incorporated by the 14th Amendment against the states, uh, need to be preserved. And uh, whether they're being usurped by the federal government or by some part of the state government, uh, I'll be there to stand up for those rights. And you know, that's what I've been doing pretty much my entire legal career, is fighting for our constitutional rights in state and in federal courts uh, here in Minnesota and across the country, so I know how to do it, right? And I've been fighting for our constitutional rights my whole legal career. I'm going to continue doing that when I'm attorney general. And we will stand up for the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, all of the amendments, and we'll, we'll make sh and we can go into court, right? So if, if there's a case where a citizen is defending his rights against the federal government or against the state, we can intervene on behalf of, uh, in appropriate cases, uh, those citizens and, and, and help support those constitutional rights. And there may be certain instances where we can stand up directly for the state and bring a lawsuit against the federal government when the rights of the state are being uh, encroached by the federal government. So whether you're talking about an unconstitutional vaccine mandate from the federal government or anything else, I'll be there to, to go to federal court or state court as appropriate. We'll get a strategy in place and we'll, we'll push back and we will fight for our rights and stand up for our rights. And uh, we need attorneys general to, around the country to do that aggressively uh, so that we can preserve you know, our founding principles and the things that make America great. All right, one more question. Your website is DougWardlowAG.com, right? That's right, DougWardlowAG.com. Okay, tell me before we let you go, what? give me one or two cases, your favorite cases or your most important cases you think, whether it was with Liberty Alliance or what other group, what, what are one or two of your most important cases that you were involved in that you're really proud of? Oh, I have a number of cases that come to mind. There was a case involving a, uh, a statue, that a memorial in a city in Minnesota, in Belle Plaine, Minnesota, uh, that a group of veterans erected. And uh, it featured the silhouette of a soldier kneeling down before a gravesite marked by a cross. And the Freedom from Religion Foundation came in and they threatened to sue the city because they said that that violated the separation of church and state, which is preposterous, right? Uh, putting up a depiction of a gravesite marked by a cross in a city park doesn't establish a religion in violation of the First Amendment. So we fought back. We went to Belle Plain and, and we successfully uh, we pushed back the Freedom from Religion Foundation. So that was one good one. And then there's another case in Wyoming I'm particularly proud of that I worked on uh, involving a, a town judge, Ruth Neely. And in that case, uh, this was, I think, in 2014 or 15. And uh, it was right uh, after the uh, court in Wyoming had mandated same-sex marriage uh, in that state and prior to the Obergefell decision. And she was called by a reporter one, one evening when she was hanging Christmas lights and, and asked about that case. And, and she had the power but not the duty to uh, perform marriages as, as a judge in that town. And she was a, she is a, a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And because of her sincerely held religious beliefs, she said that she couldn't perform those kinds of ceremonies, but she would kindly refer anyone who wanted one to some other magistrate who could perform the ceremony. So she never denied anyone a marriage. She, you know, she just stated her religious beliefs, right, to a reporter. And then because of that, the Wyoming Judicial Conduct Commission went after her and tried to get her kicked off the bench uh, because simply for stating her beliefs about marriage. So we went to bat for her, uh, stood up for her free speech and religious freedom rights, and we were able to successfully defend her and keep her on the bench. You know, you know what? I'm laughing because some, that, that happened in Wyoming. You know, People have this idea that certain states, Idaho, 
Montana, Wyoming, these are such wonderful states to flee to. You have so much liberty. Uh, the trash I hear coming out of those three states make me want to vomit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got to defend our constitutional rights all across the country vehemently. Yep. Yep. We just watched a video last week of a, a young infant being ripped out of the arms of a mom uh, right on camera. Uh, and we've covered the whole story here. And that was in Idaho. And uh, it's amazing the number of people that are contacting us saying they're leaving Idaho because of the, uh, you know, the um, rhinos that have taken over the state and are just do doing things that no one would have tolerated if the Democrats did it. But uh, it's interesting that that's, that came out of uh, Wyoming. And it, and it does seem to be that oftentimes it is those groups, the, the bar associations and some of those other groups that in some of these states tend to get infected and then carry out their politically correct agenda, even inside what's supposed to be a conservative state. I, I guess you've probably seen that in your career, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's incredibly important that we stand up for the First Amendment, rights to free speech. We need to keep the marketplace of ideas open for all. And we know when the marketplace of ideas is truly open, uh, our side wins because we have reason, we have logic, uh, history and tradition and, and all those good things on our side, the other side's arguments uh, in, in, a, in a fair battle in the marketplace of ideas, uh, they generally lose. Absolutely. Thank you, Doug, for being with us. His website, DougWardlowAG.com. Thank you, Doug. Let us know how it's going. Love to have you back sometime. Very good. Thank you, Brandon. And as you move through with this preliminary injunction, we'll definitely have you on for an update. When do you think you'll file that, by the way? Uh, we're, we're working on it and uh, not quite sure about date certain, but it'll be coming up. Okay. When you do, let us know, will you? Sounds good. Thank you, Doug. Doug Wardlow. Hope you check out his website, DougWardlowAG.com. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to be joined by Melissa Hooray. I mean, that's her name. I didn't say hooray, but her name is Melissa Hooray. She'll join us right after this break. Don't go away. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. And as you know, my passion is to help each and every one of you get the best sleep of your life. That's why I created my new Giza Dreams bed sheets. I started by using the world's best cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. My Giza sheets also include full 21 inch wide pillowcases that will fit over any pillow and deep pocket sheets that will fit over any mattress. The first night you sleep on my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Call or go to MyPillow.com right now to get your very own Giza Dream bed sheets. Use the promo code to save 50% as low as $49.99 a set. That's 50% off at my lowest prices ever. I personally guarantee they're going to be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. All right, welcome back. Glad you're with us. Melissa Hooray joins us. Melissa, welcome. Glad you're with us. Hey, Brandon. Great to see you. You even said my name right. Kudos to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was uh, an awesome inter interview with Doug Wardlow, by did, the way. And I'm, I'm guessing you know Doug. Yeah, Doug and I are friends, actually. We started around the same time at my pillow. And while you were interviewing him, I was thinking of a story just real quick. When we first started together, my husband was going through some challenges with his career and he just kind of needed someone to talk to a professional, a Christian man. And I went and sought Doug out and he didn't know my husband from Adam. And he went and took him out for lunch and, and uh, hung out with him. And I, that really says a lot about him and his, his heart. The same with Mike Lindell, just where you see them doing things, Christ-like things. And so I'm so excited for Doug running for attorney general. And he is a really good man and he is the real deal. Really praying that he wins. 
That's a great story. Thank you, Melissa. Well, let's talk about you. We're excited that you're going to be coming on board at Lindell TV 2. Yeah. Uh, noon Central Time, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, correct? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited about that. I think at first Mike had mentioned this a while back, and he said maybe I'd be in that 3 a.m. time slot, but I think I got promoted to the noon slot. So, yeah, the Hope Report coming to Lindell TV. We do broadcast on, as you know, Frank's speech. We stream live at noon central on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then we're on all the other platforms too. But um, the Hope Report has really grown and we are so excited. Jason Perry is my co-host. He's out in Johnson City, Tennessee. I think you're in Tennessee. Aren't I'm you, in the Brian? other end of the state. Yep, he's in more, you're in yep. Mm-hmm. Nashville area? Yep, yep, yep. That's where he is. I'm in Memphis. Okay, Brand, or uh, Jason is in Johnson City, and he and I came together to do the Hope Report. And it's almost been a year now. I can't believe it. It'll be a year in April. Um, so we've got 125 testimonies, I think. And our, our main objective is just to bring glory to Jesus and to illustrate that he's still on the throne. He's still doing miracles today. I mean, you can look at our world and get a little discouraged and get a little downtrodden. But every week we are featuring two people because on Fridays we do a a teaching, more of a, um, you know, a topical thing. But two, two, twice a week, we have someone tell their story of how they've been set free by the power of Jesus Christ. So there's nothing better than that. And so these are all these are all people who have stories similar to Mike Lindell. Is that what I'm, I'm hearing? I would say in some ways, yes. You know, but Mike's got a pretty fantastic story, as you know. Not everyone has had so many near-death experiences and, and um, you know, um, motorcycle crashes and all these things. So we have uh, don't few... forget the one. Don't forget the one where he jumps out of parachute and he got the fu- the fun dysfunctional parachute. Yeah. Yes, he he has so many. It kind of blows your mind. And I think some people worry their story isn't um, mind blowing enough. So we also have some that are just average everyday people who recently we had a lady on who used to be my daycare provider and she was in the throes of meth addiction. She was 86 pounds. This was you know, many years ago, but she was laying on the floor of her apartment and, and, and the Lord reached down and touched her and she was running from God, but he came and got her. So we have stories like Mike's and we have stories like the everyday housewife or, or laborer or whatever. So we want them all. People can go to hopereportshow.com if they want to learn more about our show or come on as a guest. We also have a Facebook page and other ways to reach us, but we're always looking for guests and the Lord keeps bringing them keeps bringing people into my social media fields and just connecting me. Mike calls them divine appointments, as you know, Brandon. And that's what we keep getting. I've never had a lack of guests in in the past year. I swear that the Lord does it. He sends the people that need to be uh, known, that need to know about the show. And I think Jason and I make a really amazing team. He was a atheist for 37 years of his life, came to the Lord 12, 12 years ago. Yeah. And he had a, just a, a remarkable deliverance. At first, he was an intellectual Christian and then became Holy Spirit filled through the Operation Restored Warrior course that we have on the Lindell Recovery Network, which I'll talk about also. But that is an amazing course that helps people get filled with the Holy Spirit and really take that next step of being a spirit filled Christian so they become empowered to do the kingdom work. So, and, and that, Jason that's with and our I friend have, Paul, right? That's with our friend Paul. Yes. Yes. Paul Lavelle created mm-hmm. the course. We have it up on lindellrecoverynetwork.org. And I, I cannot um, overstate the importance of this course when people go through it, how life-changing it really is. I went through it too. Mike put a 
few women from the company through the women's course a couple years back. And I had, you know, some things in my past I thought were healed that really needed some more just deliverance from the Lord. And it was an amazing experience. I really encourage people to go to lindellrecoverynetwork.org. And I'll, I guess maybe I should save that for when I talk about the LRM. But we have the course up there. It's free. You don't have to pay a cent to do this. And you can go through all the guided prayers and the videos, the companion guide and handbook and everything you need is right there on the on the website. And what is the website? Give it again. So let do we have a minute to talk about LindellRecoveryNetwork.org? Yes. Yes. Okay, so so Mike, Mike's baby, I would say, and I would say his heart is always with the the addict and the person who still struggles. And I'm so blessed and grateful to be able to to lead this platform. I, when I met Mike, I had been in the treatment world for about 12 years, working in intensive outpatient residential treatment. And you would see people recover, but one of the big struggles was that I'd see people, you know, come in and out of the program, and they weren't really getting set free, many of them. And that's because you need Jesus for, for complete restoration and freedom. And I wasn't really able to do that to the level I wanted in this secular program. You know, and the thing is, counseling is helpful, but people really need Christian discipleship because, you know, doing a, you know, we can write the goodbye letter to alcohol or write a letter to my anger and do all those things they have you do. I'm not saying they aren't somewhat helpful, but, you know, Jesus can break those chains for you. And that's a lie that we're told in this world by the treatment industry that, you know, addiction is a disease. You're never going to be set free. And I know that's one thing Mike and I connected on early on is that we were radically set free. I was a blackout binge drinker for 15 years, and I went back and forth with it for four years before I got to the end and surrendered and asked the Lord to, to remove it, and he did. He was faithful to do that. There was still a lot of work I had to do, but he took away the compulsion, the craving, the obsession. All of that was lifted off me when I got to the end of my own attempts to try to, to you know do it in my own power. He came in and met me with his grace. And Mike had a similar story like that, where we both had this this just knowing that time was running out for us. And for me, I thought it was going to be an accident because I would drive drunk all the time or or a overdose and that I was just not going to wake up one day. And by the grace of God, you know, he lifted me out of that 19 years ago. I never looked back. I never craved it, wanted it. And Jason and I hear these stories every week. So we know that the Lord does this. He still does it today. So when, so, when you say that, and I, I, it's very interesting. Uh, very interesting. Thank you for sharing this. So when you say, because I hear that all the time, you know, that, well, this is a disease. It's a disease. And I'm thinking yes. to myself, when did this become a disease? When did, a, when did an addiction become a disease? Right. Why is it? Explain to the audience why you push against that description. Well, you know, I feel that we do a lot of things. In, it, well, some, one of the things Jason and I talk about on the show if we don't find our identity in Christ, we're going to find it in the things of the world. We're going to find a way to cope with whatever, you know, issue we have. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe addiction is just a symptom of a deeper problem. It could be father wounds. For me, it was abandonment. For me, it was just, you know, um, feeling like rejection. And, and Mike talks about that too, insecurity. So I believe it's, it's a, you know, a sort of disorder and we use alcohol and drugs to try to mask it. But when we find our true identity in Jesus Christ, we don't have to do that anymore. And we are we are freed of that. There may be other things he puts in our path, like medication or therapists or books or things like that. But the things of this world can never deliver us. And yes, we are sold that that lie about addiction being a disease when we can truly be set free of it. Excellent. Um, 
I don't want to take you off point because I don't know where you want to go, but I have so many <laughs> questions. I have so many questions I want to ask you. Uh, one of them is about the spike of whether it's alcohol or drugs. It seems to be an epidemic today. I mean, there's hardly a family today that isn't touched by it. You know, when I was growing up and, you know, graduated from high school in 1988, you know, th there were, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't around kids, my peers, that had drug and drinking problems. Now, there right. were kids that did and we knew about them, but that was a very, very, very small percentage of the, you know, our age group graduating in high school in 1988. Today, mm -hmm. uh, Drugs have been so mainstreamed. Pot has been so mainstreamed. Yes. Again, I I'm not going to ask you what year you graduated high school, but when I graduated high school in 1988. <laughs> 1991 for okay, me. Okay, so when I graduated high school in 88, people weren't running around. My peers weren't all, you know, they weren't looking for pot. Nobody, we, people didn't do that in our generation of that age unless you were one of the potheads, right? Or oh, those are the <laughs> yeah, potheads, right. right? Those are the potheads Stoners. that do that. It was, yes. are the, what, what did you call them? Stoners. The stoners, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it was it was looked down on. It was not culturally acceptable. It was actually to the opposite. Even I mean, it wasn't that your parents were running around telling you. Your 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 own peers knew that those are just a bunch of stonehead potheads. You don't want to go that route. But today, right. the pot has been so n normalized and accepted uh, in the culture by Hollywood, by you know people that you know they see in the culture that the, the states are legalizing it left and right. Then you, of course, you add the issue of substance abuse with alcohol. <clears throat> then you add opioids, fentanyl. Yep. I mean, this is a huge, huge issue. It's a national security issue, too. Would you agree with yes. all that? Most definitely. You know, Brandon, I think one of the statistics we often hear is that only about 1 in 10 or 1 in 13 people have a substance abuse disorder or would meet criteria for that. Um, so really, the, the majority of the population is using responsibly or socially. But I think that we have seen such an increase in this in our culture. A lot of it, I think, has to do with godlessness. And we've become desensitized. And, yeah, it used to be weed and alcohol, and now it's, you know, one fentanyl pill that can, that can kill you. I mean, it's just gone off the charts. And as it has increased, even with, with marijuana legalization and all of this, we've, we are desensitized and, and we're godless. That's kind of the, the main theme that I see from it is this constant need to numb ourselves and escape reality because we don't have an identity. And it, it's a huge identity problem. And it's really a lie from the enemy, too, that you can take this substance and it's going to you know, make you feel better. It's going to let you escape reality. It's not such a big deal. And that's really how it started with me, was the enemy placing strongholds in my mind from a very young age that alcohol, everybody does it. It's normalized. It's not a problem. My dad was an alcoholic. He died of liver failure when he was 54. But I still never thought that that would be me. I thought that I would be different. But I apparently have that physiology that I think one in 10 or one in 13 of us have. You put the substance in your body, you become out of control. So again, I don't know if that answers your question, but I just see a huge problem in our culture with looking everywhere but to God for answers, for solutions, for how to live in this life. Any substance that can you know, mask the pain or make us not face reality. So if you're a, a parent today, Speak to a parent, maybe, because the parent who didn't grow up abusing the alcohol, abusing the drugs, you know, the uh, uh, the prescription drugs that you said that are so abused today, the parents yes. that didn't come out of that culture, and, and that's very common for the mother and the father be raising teenagers 
and the mom and dad, they can't relate to this at all. They, they had nothing to do with this growing up. But they can't understand it. And they don't know what to do. And I'm finding that this is touching more and more and more and more families. There's hardly a family that hasn't been touched by it in some way. If it's not a child, it's a nephew, it's a niece. You know, it's yes. somebody really close in their family. What, what do you say to these people that, that really, it, because this doesn't only impact the person who's got the, the, the addiction, but it oftentimes just can really destroy the people closest to them and leave them at, without hope. Absolutely. And I think if I were to have Jason Perry here, my co-host, he has a ministry called Patriot Crusader Mission, and it's designed to minister to men to bring them back into their rightful place of leading a family because discipleship begins in the home. So I think all of this stems from a discipleship problem. Um, people not discipling their children to the Lord. I mean, doing these old school things that they're, you know, so quaint now, reading the Bible with your kids, teaching them biblical truth and how to apply it to their life. A lot of us just farm our kids out to the youth group on Wednesday night and drop them off and say, have a fun time. But we're not leading from the front in our home. And I believe that's really what Jason would say. He says, fix the man and fix the family. I mean, it trickles down from there. So a lot of it is a problem with discipleship and men who are not taking up their role. I'm not just you know blaming men, but but being the the head of the household and teaching biblical truth from the front. I think that the the world would change dramatically if people could get back to that. Mm. Also, we have, as you know, this skyrocketing epidemic of sexual abuse, and of course, yes. as you said, when it comes to many of these addictive issues there's something that's at the root of it. This is just a way to mask the pain and the, the hurt and, and guilt. Um, are, you, are we seeing also, are you seeing also in your line of work that as sexual abuse goes up, that we see alcoholism, drug use also going up? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that they really go hand in hand when you've experienced some sort of trauma, um, whether it's abuse or emotional neglect or abandonment there is this drive to find a way to cope with that. And, and so I think that the substance use typically goes along with that in tandem. And, you know, you really need to treat them together, treat them concurrently where you are helping the person. And, you know, again, I think this might sound overly simplified, but I think that Jesus is the answer to all of this and, and discipleship, um, you know, coming along others. This is where we could talk about the Lindell Recovery Network and the Hope Match. There's nothing more powerful than having someone who has gone through what you have um, speak into your life. There's nothing more empowering than that. Um, you know, you can talk to a therapist till, till the, the sun goes down and, and they can be helpful. I'm not saying that therapists don't do some good work, but having that person in your life, like Mike Lindell talks about his friend Dick, who came to him and said, hey, Dick, I'm sober, you know, and they had used crack together. They were running the streets together. And Mike looks at him like, what are you talking about? If I had met a woman like me when I was in my 20s who said, hey, I get blackout drunk. Hey, I wake up and I don't know how I got there. That was so shameful to me. I didn't want to tell anybody about it. So I think that that is one of the just really special things about the LindellRecoveryNetwork.org is that we enable people to connect with people telling their stories. And I feel like this is a Holy Spirit driven platform. People get on there, they type in their age, they select their drug from the drop down and it populates matches for them. So they hear other people's stories. And then once they're inside the site, they get to hear the rest of the story, how the person was restored. And the answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all over the place. 
it's not forcing anything on anyone. It's kind of leading them through the side door. It's leading with the sin because addiction is a sin like anything else. And we can treat it in the same way with repentance, with discipleship, with coming to the Lord. We can bring everything to him. We can cast all of our cares on him. Isn't so that interesting goal, that you're, you're choosing to use the biblical word sin where the culture yeah. uses the word disease? Yes, and that is a very important point. Jason, actually, my co-host, had we had a couple guests on, and that is how they refer to their addiction. And this is a pivotal thing to us because we were saying to each other, they nailed it. That's what it is. But culture, for some reason, wants to put it in some other category. You know, it's a disease. It's a malady. It's something you're never going to get rid of. I mean, I guess you could I guess you could go around and try to kind of kind of sugarcoat, you know, the, the, the guy that's the serial adulterer. He you know, it's not yeah. his sin of adultery. It's his disease. You know, he's got a disease. He can't yeah, help it. Exactly. I mean, it takes away the the responsibility of the individual. Because, yeah, again, it, it, it may be that they had something horrible happen to them and they're trying to numb their conscience, suppress the guilt. But right. again, that doesn't justify the sin of their actions. Right. And I think in all addictions, we exchange we we take in a short term gratification and we sacrifice the long term goal that we want. And we'll we'll just do that in the moment. And for most of us, it's to dampen anxiety or it's to be able to push off some kind of some kind of reality that we don't want to process. So when you so when we go to the issue of feeling guilty about something and particularly let's say it was something that they're not responsible for it was someone else's sin that was subjected mm -hmm. onto them but because of that person's sin being subjected onto them either through not being treated right not a parent who was you know, physically abusive or a relative that sexually abused someone or something, but someone's sin comes onto them. Yes. They, in turn, don't process it right, particularly when it, you're talking about young, young people, a young child. They can't process this right, you know, correctly. So they begin to take responsibility for someone else's sin, but then they're led into another sin and then they begin to abuse themselves. So, what you're telling me then is when you are able to explain to them the gospel message, that whatever has happened to you, what someone else did to you, what you then willingly went and got involved in in yourself, all of that is put into the past, as the scriptures say, as one who becomes a believer, old things pass away, behold, all things become new, and their sins are buried in the depths of the sea, separated as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more, and then you're counted as righteousness before God through Christ. Have you seen personally once someone understands that, but not only understands it, but literally experiences that through uh, salvation, that boom, they're they are set free? Oh, yes. And Brandon, when you said that, I was thinking of my friend Michelle Davenport, an amazing woman, went through so much abuse and trauma and rape and all these things in her early years and a dysfunctional family. She's got her testimonies and her books on the Lindell Recovery uh, Network. They're making a movie out of her story. Her core message is forgiveness. And, and you know, the Bible says that, that God will work all things for the good. You know, when we submit to him, he is able to use all those things for the good. And Michelle, her message is forgiveness, that we need to forgive as Jesus forgave us. That doesn't mean that we forget or that we allow them to continue abusing us or harming us. But forgiveness is really the key that can start the healing process for ourselves. And, you know, sometimes the other person, whether they come into alignment with that or not, but her story is an amazing testimony of 
how forgiveness set her free. So it, her books are up on lindellrecoverynetwork.org. Now, you guys could not do what you do, give people Bibles, tracts, give them the gospel. You could not do this if you were taking state or federal money, could you? No, no. And that's what's so incredible. I mean, Mike made all of this free of charge. And like I was saying about the lie of the treatment industry, they want you to believe you need to pay $30,000 to go to treatment. And I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes people do need a structured facility if they they are in severe withdrawal or they just cannot get out of that pit of continual habitual using. But many people can recover in church. They can recover with, you know, people around them interceding or or talking to a counselor. They don't necessarily need to be locked up in a treatment facility. So everything on the LRN is free. You can go to the Salvation Army in Minneapolis, which is one of the programs Mike specifically believes so much in, free. Admit people 24-7 has an amazing treatment program and provides them with all the wraparound services. But we never hear about the Salvation Army. You know, we hear about the high-end facilities where people want to go. Because if there's big are, money. That's, that is <laughs> exactly. A, it's a, what is it, a multi-billion Billion, dollar industry? Billions. Billions of dollars. And it's packaged as you need this slick program to recover. The Lindell Recovery Network, it's incredible. I mean, it, everything What's is right there. What's your success rate? Do you have a way of tracking that? No, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I, I think that's, it's pretty hard to track. You will hear high-end programs tout an 80% success rate, you know, like say Hazelden, for example, but their method of follow-up will be giving somebody a call after a year and saying, hey, are you still sober? You know, it's it's not really super evidence-based, I don't think, but we don't have that yet. I think we should. I mean, that would be, that would be great to be able to provide people with that information. But I, I think the Operation Restored Warrior program, if Paul Lavelle could correct me on this, I think they tout a 100% success rate with the people who have gone through that program in the physical drop zone where they go to the location. So ours is obviously an online program. But Paul had prayed about that, and he felt like the Holy Spirit revealed to him, like, no, this works through the power of video because he had done some videos that really touched people. And, you know, so he made this program in video form. It's a beautiful beautifully done, beautifully shot, and very powerful. Excellent. You know, you are giving people hope. It's got to be a very fulfilling job. I know you're down in the trenches and it's hard work, but it does, you do have to have a real sense of accomplishment in what you're doing because you are giving people hope and you are seeing lives transformed, correct? It's awesome, Brandon. I used to be in the news media. We talked about this, but I was a news reporter and anchor 15 years ago. And I thought I thought that ship had sailed. And at times I would miss it. And I, I would tell myself, oh, you're too old. You're not getting back into this. And then Mike Lindell would always talk about this show he wanted to have called The Hope Report. And it's just going to be stories of hope and positive stories. And I didn't know God's just opening doors that I couldn't open myself. And I'm just, you know, really grateful to that he has, you know, he I'm not in the treatment world anymore, but I'm still able to help people through this platform and through just the massive amounts of emails and social media and things that we interact with people on a daily basis. And Jason and I have both said, hearing the testimonies every week, it grows our faith. Doing this program for a year has exponentially grown our faith, and it's been such a blessing. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with us. And I give the website again, will you, Melissa? Yes. So you can check out the podcast and everything. We stream it live Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon central. It's hopereportshow.com. And then the, the online platform with all the recovery services, video testimonials, hope matches is lindellrecoverynetwork.org. And I have a book coming out early next year. I'm really excited about that. It's called Blackout to Blessing. So, okay, when it I'm comes out, will you, will, you let me interview, will you let me interview you when it comes out? 
Absolutely. Okay, excellent. We look forward to adding you to Lindell TV too, just as yes. quick as we can. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you, Melissa. Great work. Thank you for being with us tonight. Wow, that's excellent. It's kind of nice to get a positive report like that, isn't it? Can you believe all the things Mike's involved in? Not only saving the country, but helping to save lives through the Lindell Recovery Network. Well, we're going to take off for right now. The Worldview Report, our nightly newscast comes up. Then at 7.30 Central, I'm going to have with me Alex Newman, and I'm going to have with me Jason Pratt, and I'm going to have with me Judge Napolitano. Got a full night yet still ahead. And then after that, Diamond and Silk. Busy here at Lindell TV. Hope you'll support us by going to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code L77. Take care. You're watching Lindell TV.